0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash OLLI.
1: San Diego has millions left unspent in its rent relief program.
2: The city is working with different organizations to get the word out to San Diego County residents that you should apply.
1: I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. <music> cannabis regulation in San Diego loosens up.
0: We need to keep focusing on removing the stigma that cannabis users aren't necessarily bad people, and you know they're just any, they're just like anybody else.
1: Our weekend preview includes a conversation with artist Claudia Cano. That's ahead on Midday Edition.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by... The University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
1: A program to provide rent relief for San Diegans has not been as popular as city leaders expected. Fewer than 10,000 applications have been received, leaving about $50 million left unspent. Mayor Todd Gloria has even released a TV commercial urging struggling renters to take advantage of the program. Officials are now trying to figure out if the problem could be too few renters know about the rent relief available, or maybe too few renters need it. Joining me is Philip Molnar, a reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune. And Philip, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: How much money in total did the city get for rent relief, and where did it come from?
2: So they have $92.2 million in rent relief. And it's all basically from federal money for the different stimuluses. But how it was distributed was a little different. Some of the money came directly to the city. Some went through Sacramento and then was redistributed. But it all came out to this very large pot of money.
1: And how do you qualify to get
2: it? So you need to make uh, a certain amount under the area median income. You need to be able to prove that you have lost income due to COVID-19. That can be directly or indirectly. Sometimes it's you lost a job or you had medical bills related. So some sort of rough documentation that you've lost money due to COVID.
1: And is this money just to pay back rent?
2: Actually, it's very generous. It isn't just back rent. It can pay some of three months rent in advance. It can even pay utilities such as internet bill, even short-term hotel stays, but more basic stuff, probably like water and energy.
1: And who gets the payment? Is it the renters or the landlords?
2: So the program is set up that it's supposed to go to your landlord. However, there is a different thing where if the renter's landlord is not participating, the city has set aside money to pay the renter directly. So it is possible for even either the renter or the landlord to initiate the process to ask for the money. And even if, and this is a criticism I've heard, it puts a lot of the power in the landlord's hands, but the money, the city does have money that can go directly to a renter.
1: And what are the challenges that may be keeping renters from applying for the money?
2: So a lot of people don't have access to computers. It's very difficult on a smartphone to apply. It's an online only application. So you need to be sitting at a computer, either at a public library or some community groups have helped set up computers to get them there to fill out the application. So that can be a bit of a barrier right there. Also, the city is working with 10 different organizations that cover 20 different languages. I couldn't even name 20 languages, by the way, but covering 20 different languages to get the word out to San Diego County residents that this money is available and you should apply.
1: Now, some people have speculated that it's possible that so much money for rent relief just isn't
2: needed. That's right. You know, throughout this pandemic, I have been calling different landlord groups. I've been calling property management companies. And I kept hearing the same thing over and over that was not quite jibing with what I had been hearing at a national level and that was that they really didn't have a lot of people that were not paying rent. So it was sort of interesting in that regard because it's it's surprising because at a national level we're hearing about this eviction cliff. If you're hearing from a lot of politicians, they're saying we need to do this for rent and obviously there's a lot of anecdotal sob stories out there You know, I can always find as a reporter, I can do my best to find as many sob stories as possible of people that haven't paid their rents, you know, have been in some horrible accident, but are those anecdotal stories really the majority of renters and what I have found, at least in San Diego County, I haven't talked to every single renter out there, but a lot of times when I talk to the very large property management firms that hold 700 to 900 apartments is they really don't have high delinquency rates which is kind of goes against some narratives we've been hearing
1: is it possible that this rent relief is just coming too late Uh, that renters have made other arrangements and trying to find some money if they've lost their job and they're worried about making the rent
2: yeah that's also a huge factor i talked to the chicano federation this week and they deal with a lot of immigrants and refugees here And some of those people, you know, don't qualify for these enhanced unemployment benefits and even the stimulus checks that came and a lot of other things that people benefited from. But what they found was that a lot of those renters found other ways to get their rent paid. They were extremely resilient. They usually got loans from friends or family. They just wanted to make sure they had a roof over their head because they didn't know if this money was coming. So you can kind of look at it like, well, we had a real gap in time between the first San Diego rent relief program, which was uh, 15.1 million to now in March uh, with this 92.2 million. And that left, you know, roughly, let's say about six months where people really didn't know if any more money was going to be coming. So during that time, people made do.
1: And is there a deadline for when the rent relief money now has to be spent?
2: Yeah, it's sort of interesting, you know, and this is a, a changing thing where state requirements and even federal requirements have been loosened in the you know, day-to-day. So this could always change. But when the San Diego Housing Authority got the money, state requirements said that they had to spend $44.9 million by August 1st. And then the federal requirements said they had to spend another $42.3 million by December 31st. Although there were some provisions in place to extend the timeline if needed. Do city officials expect the demand to pick up? I think city officials mainly think right now the problem is that they need to reach more renters. Almost all of them I've talked to seem to think that they just haven't done a good enough job of getting the word out and are less worried about that maybe there's too much money in the fund. So I haven't heard really too much worry about not getting the money spent. And another thing to consider is the money in the fund can be used for all these utilities, all these different things, future rent. And there's a strong possibility if enough people find out about it and apply again and again as they have hardship, it could get all spent.
1: I've been speaking with San Diego Union Tribune reporter Philip Molnar. Philip, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. For more information on the city's rental assistance program or to apply, you can visit (laughs) covidassistance.sdhc.org. The day of celebration for cannabis has always been April 20th, 420. But people in San Diego's pot industry have been cheering all year thanks to a trend towards loosening cannabis regulations countywide. KPBS's Katie Stegall says the industry has been working for those changes for a long time, in part by spending money in local elections.
3: It was a joyful election night for San Diego Democrats last November. They celebrated winning the presidency in several local elections. One of those big wins was the majority on the San Diego County Board of Supervisors. And the new majority acted quickly to pass a new set of policies allowing more cannabis businesses in unincorporated San Diego County. The
2: county of San Diego is one of the few governing entities that had this outright ban. Uh, on on, on cannabis products, both not just recreational adult use, but also uh, medicinal.
3: County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher led the push for the change. He's long supported cannabis, and the industry's also supported him. One cannabis political action committee donated $22,000 to his 2018 campaign. But... Fletcher says he didn't push these policy proposals because of his donors.
2: But the reason we're doing this is because it's the right thing to do. It's also the reason pretty much every other jurisdiction in San Diego County has already done the exact same thing.
3: Other candidates, mostly Democrats, were backed by cannabis advocates too. They received more than $300,000 during the last two elections. But cannabis groups have a long way to go until they rank amongst the bigger political spenders. Consider that in the last two elections, the San Diego Chamber of Commerce's political action committee spent more than $1.5 million dollars. But political experts say cannabis's influence is growing.
2: There are other major players and cannabis could become one of those uh, players in, in San Diego politics.
3: UCSD professor Thad Couser says the fight for adult use cannabis is no longer at a state level. It's being waged city by city. And that means local political contributions are more important.
2: Now the question is about where can you put a dispensary? Where can you do agricultural production? And that's a land use policy.
3: Cannabis advocates are happy with The supervisors vote, but they aren't stopping there. Dallin Young, vice chair of San Diego's Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, says they need more licenses for dispensaries and cannabis lounges. So they're looking next at increasing licenses in individual cities, which he says will also help social equity campaigns within the industry.
2: Many of those facilities do not have any minority representation amongst their ownership. This is a huge problem, and that is because how few licenses there are available. If you allow for more licenses to be available, then you allow for more diversity in the marketplace because you deflate the value of those licenses.
3: They also want to decrease the cost of a license. For example, in Chula Vista, it can cost more than $100,000. That drives prospective business owners elsewhere.
2: Time and time again, you know, I tell these people, um, you know, there are no opportunities right now in the San Diego area. How do you feel about going out to Desert Hot Springs or up to California City?
3: Cannabis business attorney Ed Wicker says there are only five cannabis businesses on unincorporated county land right now.
2: It's disheartening. Why can't they have a a lawful business that is something that they can manage uh, close close at home? Uh, The San Diego area and local governments are missing out on the revenue here. And uh, it's, it's been a dearth of, of business opportunities.
3: Lincoln Fish is the CEO of one of the five licensed cannabis businesses in unincorporated San Diego, who has contributed to candidates supporting the looser regulations. He says it's time to move beyond the reefer madness stereotype.
0: We need to keep focusing on removing the stigma that cannabis users aren't necessarily bad people, and you know they're just any, they're just like anybody else.
3: For KPBS News, I'm Katie Stiegel.
1: This weekend in the arts, there's a new dance film that highlights the stories of Southeast San Diego. It's our last chance to see an exhibition of works from 30 artists living in the border region, also work from some of the finest emerging contemporary artists studying art today. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans and artist Claudia Cano, who's also the education director at Lux Art Institute. Welcome to you both.
4: Thanks for having us, Maureen. Thank you for having me.
1: The Domestic Geographies exhibition at the Front Gallery in San Ysidro closes in just over a week. And Saturday evening, the gallery is holding an open house. Julia, what do we need to know?
4: Well, if you haven't had a chance to see this really incredible group show, now's your chance. Uh, Social distancing and mask rules will still be enforced, but they're opening it up to drop-in visits on Saturday. And the work in the show is incredible with the way 30 different artists experience the domestic realm. And Claudia, your work is featured in the show. Can you tell us a little bit about the overall theme of this exhibition and how your work fits in with it? Yeah,
5: uh, the exhibition was curated by uh, Ingrid Hernandez, uh, artist and curator, and she invited me to be part of the exhibition which is a great opportunity for me to show a new body of work that I've been working on in the last uh, year during the pandemic. And it de- deals with, you know, domestic issues uh, by using appropriated images and uh, talking about the role of Latinx communities in the country, especially
1: uh, domestic workers. The Domestic Geographies Exhibition Open House takes place Saturday from 5 to 8 at the front.
4: Claudia, you have one other show you'd like to recommend we check out this weekend. Can you tell us all about that?
5: Yeah, well, since last Friday, uh, Measurements of Progress opened to the public at SDAI uh, in Balboa Park. And it is a group of uh, grad students from UCSD and the Masters of Fine Arts. Uh, and they are, you know, showing the final show that deals with, you know, step of human progress from an historical uh, and contemporary point of view and a speculative uh, vision. So it is a fun
1: show, a very
5: interesting, very engaging
1: Measurements of Progress is on view by appointment at San Diego Art Institute in Balboa Park, now through May 30th. And Julia, you're recommending a dance film commissioned by the La Jolla Playhouse. Tell us a little bit about Towards Belonging.
4: Yeah, so this is part of the Playhouse's Digital Without Walls Festival. And they called on choreographer Annette Maria Ramey, who she just last year launched the Mariah Performing Arts Center in Chula Vista. And she worked with Ebony Harvey, a filmmaker, to put together this new dance film, filmed at the Arts Park at Troyes Creek. And it features movement set to narrated personal stories, graffiti art, spoken word, and, and music. And it's focused on the stories of Southeast San Diego and the personal impacts of systemic racism the Playhouse is hosting a watch party Saturday morning at 11 with a Q&A with the choreographer and the filmmaker and some of the Playhouse leadership. And here's a short scene from Towards Belonging where dancer Hannah Pritchett is, she's dancing between chain link fences along a short path and she reads her story kind of like a poem. On the other side, I stand as I am.
3: Oftentimes, I've felt like a foreigner that truly never belongs. An outsider peering in from the outside. Never quite enough as I am. Not enough of one thing, but too much of another. From childhood, I have been told I don't belong and to go back home, but how do you go back home when you don't know what home is and where home is? How do you tell a child that they do not belong for being born the way they are born? Restrained by perceptions of what I am supposed to be? Ideas of how I'm supposed to look because of where I come from. Restrained by judgment of ingrained prejudice and preconceived notions, which I have no control over.
4: That's from Towards Belonging from the La Jolla Playhouse. Claudia, you have a background in performance art, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on filmed performance art and filmed dance as that it's resurging during the pandemic.
5: I think that in general, and right now, art, art making, and creativity is all what we need to keep our mental health, you know, healthy. And it's so important to be either seen or participating or creating. And it has, you know, in many communities, as I have seen it in my job, as in my practice, has saved us. Right. So I think that it's so important in performing as a way to express the body and the mind. So I'm, I'm, you know, driven to to suggest to be active and involved.
1: The La Jolla Playhouse dance film Towards Belonging launches online Saturday with a world premiere watch party at 11 a.m. For details on all of these and more arts events or to sign up for the weekly KPBS arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org slash arts. We've been speaking with Claudia Cano, artist and education director at Lux Art Institute, and with KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon Evans. Thank you both. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend.
4: Thank you so much.